that's not maybe inherent in the artistic process, right? To think about rollout strategies and to think about maybe a lot of people just don't have that information or don't have the, un- the understanding. Hey guys, welcome to How Music Charts, where we pull back the curtain on today's music business, exploring music industry trends, music data, and the creativity that helps your favorite artists hit the charts. I'm your co-host Rutger, and you'll hear from our other co-host Jason very soon. This podcast is owned and operated by Chartmetric, a music data company that connects numbers to narratives to help the music industry leverage the power of data analytics. On this episode, we talk to genre-bending indie artist Kulla, whose music you can hear in the background now. Kulla is a Milwaukee, Wisconsin-based independent musician who has released an album every year on his birthday, April 27th, for the past 14 years. For his 30th birthday in 2021, he'll be releasing his 15th album, One Half, as a testament to the fact that he's released an album every year for half of his life. The son of a classically trained jazz musician and a farm-raised mathematician and computer scientist, quote, Culla was brought up with the awareness of the balance between the creative and logical aspects of natural law, unquote. As such, he studied computer engineering at Marquette University and music and media technologies at Trinity College Dublin working briefly as a web developer at a web design firm before turning to music full-time. He's been described as, quote, one part Jack White, one part Dan Auerbach, and one part Jeff Buckley, unquote. And he was kind enough to carve out some time to discuss music data and music analytics from the artist's perspective. So without further ado, please welcome to the How Music Charts podcast, Color. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Rutger and and Jason. How's it going? Great, man. Great. So your Instagram bio, Kala, it so it tightly binds yourself to this title of Sonic Autobiographer. Uh, What does that mean to be a Sonic Autobiographer? And and did you come up with that title yourself? I believe I did. Um, It's it's. uh, yeah, you're right. It is just, I was trying to think of the easiest way to explain everything that I'm trying to do with my life and everything and just put it succinctly in less than a sentence even. Yeah. Just a title or something. Cause I've always struggled with people being like, well, what, what is this? Or what do you do here? What do you do that? And it's just, so there's, I've, there's too many things that I try to like explain and it just becomes confusing and convoluted. Um, I th- but once I came to the realization that I found folks that were walk that were listening to my music along with me for over 10 years. There's some folks who messaged me who've been listening, who've been listening to my albums every year as they come out now over over 10 years. Um, I kind of realized that, yeah, this is like a journey of my own life. And every year it reflects where I'm at in that year. And I go back into some of those old albums and I can hear myself um, almost, it feels like a different lifetime, but it feels, you know, but it, invokes all these old emotions and things. So to answer your question, yeah, I think I, I think I came up with it and I'm not totally sold on it, but I'm trying it out on the Instagram bio, you know, (laughs) I've been saying it more often. I've been saying it more often. uh, And it's starting to starting to grow on me. It certainly has a ring to it. Now, if you flipped it around and then wrote a biography of your sound, how would that is that too meta for you? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's never too meta. No, it's the, how would a biography on my sound be? Kind of how that sound is kind of like progressed through the years. Um, that's a good question. I, I try not to think 
too much about it. Like, I, that's why it's like, I guess the music when I release, cause I'm bound to a yearly cycle. I don't have too much time to get in my own head about like what, what songs are this or what type of style I'll try to, I just kind of go off my instinct and where my intentions are in the, in that year. And like what, uh, in my intuition, there's a lot of ins in there, but the, there's, but as far as like describing it, I've definitely, there's definitely sonic and qualities and textural, textural qualities like production, um, and instrumentation and stuff that has greatly changed over the years. Um, that's something for sure. Each year gets me one step closer to learning more about the, the expansiveness that there is with artistic creation, especially nowadays with in the, in the digital sphere where you can, you can get $200 worth of equipment and pump out the same amount of <laughs> insane sounds that a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, rather would be, you know, cost you tens of thousands of dollars in a recording studio, multiple engineers, all these things that you would need. Um, so I don't know. I, I think uh, maybe it's never been able to be done that way until the, the democratization of sound before everyone could have the microcontrollers and stuff. So I don't know. It, it, uh, as far as the changing, it just changes. It's a reflection of who I am. It's the change of the biography is my biography. You know, the sound... The sound, you know, they're more abstract poetic expression sometimes, um, but that's ultimately a reflection of who I am. And then I'm just a reflection of whatever my community and my environment is. And I think that's ultimately what musicians, musicians and artistry is, uh, is about, is just reflecting whatever is inside of you toward, and being a mirror for other people. That's what I've realized over the years is that the, the albums each year is, can just be a mirror. Um, whoever's listening. So you are based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You were born in Milwaukee. What is, what's the, what's the vibe there music wise? Uh, what are the local tastes like in terms of, you know, genre type of music, what have you, how would you define it? Yeah, the, there's, um, Milwaukee is a great town. It's like one of the, uh, it's a city. One of the, it's a great city. It's one of the, it's one of the places that I feel pretty lucky to be in because I'm able to survive. I was able to survive as a, as a working musician and struggling musician, um, you know, starting off just going full time right after I went to school. Um, so there, there is that element of it. And there, there are some, there are some local organizations that are really trying to support the arts and culture. And there's, there is a lot of energy and growth in this city right now. There's a lot of potential um, because things are growing but as far as like styles, there's the traditional style of music around this area, like the old school style, like maybe like is like polka music. And, and uh, that's like real old. There's tons of Germans for in this, in this region. Um, but then I'd say there was, there was a, there was a lot of funk and soul and punk in the sixties. And that punk and hardcore kind of rock really and garage rock punk, all that stuff is, was staying pretty strong in Milwaukee for quite some time. Um, I think it's part of the rust belt punk idea. I, you know, mentality of like, yeah, we're all, <laughs> no one's got a job and everything used to be good here and now it's not. And we're all, and everyone's 
angry and have all these things to say. And, and, uh, so there's a lot of that, but, but then I think more recently, I I would probably hazard to guess, um, that rap is probably the more predominant, or at least it's the thing, it's the, it's the genre with the most excitement I'd say in this, uh, in Milwaukee. Um, and I mean, you guys, the, you, you guys probably know all this, all the details <laughs> about, about Milwaukee and what's going on here. Um, but that's what I would be guess. So I, I, that's what I would guess. There's definitely bluegrass and stuff too. Um, there's definitely like bluegrass and country music. That's pretty big in Wisconsin. That's killer. Um, there's tons of festivals and tons of people who love jam and jam music and bluegrass and country music too. So at some point as an artist, have you asked yourself if you, you know, should I move to one of the stereotypical, you know, big U.S. cities, you know, because I am an artist, you know, L.A., New York, Chicago, whatever. And if so, what has that conversation been like for you? And if not, like, what, what is it about Milwaukee that, you know, that you feel like fuels your work? Yeah, I definitely have considered it. I mean, I've, I've thought about it, but, the, but to me, it was always, it, I don't know, I, I went and I was doing web development, uh, like Rutger mentioned, I was doing web development right out of my undergrad, still here in Milwaukee. And that was the time where I probably had more of a desire to, to or more of, like that's when I would have been able to move because I was had friends in New York and in San Francisco and they're like, come, come work for this. You know, we got, we can refer you to Google or we can refer you to this tech, this tech company or that tech company. Um, but to me, it was like, I need to dedicate every moment to, to music and to like pursuing my music, the music business. Um, and so every time I'd ask, I, I had, I had all my friends from high school had moved to, yeah, to yeah, New York or LA or San Francisco um, and, or some to London even. And, and I, all of them, I kept asking like, what's your rent? <laughs> you know, what's the rent? And they would always say something that was astronomical compared to here in Milwaukee. And I was just like, I can work on my music all day, every day. I don't have to work for anyone else. And yeah, I'm struggling right now, but I'm like, I pay my rent. And, and so to me, it was like, okay, this is much more of a place to grow um, and to get my roots. And so that's what I've been pursuing. And also there's some quote that I heard that I've latched onto that was like, uh, if you can't make it in your hometown, you can't make it anywhere. Does location, in your opinion, like matter for not just you, but now for kind of like like any artist that's kind of like coming up nowadays? Do you feel like, you know, whether you're from, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, Santa Fe, Des Moines, you know, you know, all these like, you know, non-stereotypical, like big entertainment cities, do you feel like it's, what do you feel like that, that scene is like for people? Do you feel like artists are much more comfortable kind of like working where they are? I mean, I think, I think, uh, more now than ever, it doesn't matter. Like, I think it, but that doesn't mean it fully doesn't matter, but I would say more so now because just because of the internet. And it's like, I was, before I even told my parents I was making music, I already had a publishing contract with this London, a company in London with one of the, that was trying, that was trying to, they basically made a website to crowdsource, um, crowdsource music that they could pitch to A&R and to, and to, and to, to try to get syncs. And uh, so my mom found 
the contract in the scanner. I forgot to take it off. And she's like, what is this? What are you signing? I was 16. Like I just definitely not a legally binding contract, but like, because I was a 16, maybe so. I don't know what the English law is. That didn't happen because of the connection I had in the city, but, but that's just, because, but I also am a computer dude. So like I lived in the internet my whole life since I, since I could, since, since I dialed up with the 28.8 K modem, you know, when I was eight years old or nine years old or whatever. But uh, no, I, I'd, I'd say, I'd say for sure it matters less now because a lot of my, a lot of the, the most dedicated fans that I have aren't from Milwaukee, even though I have some, but because I've engaged in the scene now, um, when I, I do my, I'll, I'll do, I look at all of the, all of the email list or all the people who contribute to my fundraiser and pre-order everything, you know, it's definitely can, I definitely see regional growths and stuff for sure. And there's, and where you are matters and gigging really matters for sure. I think it definitely really makes a difference to like make real connection, but it's, but, uh, but I don't think it's everything. I know folks who are just, instru- you know, they just make chill beats, you know, I mean, it's not just chill beats, they're freaking tight, but like, you know, but they still can get 30 million, 30 million Spotify streams with, with just getting playlists and just hustling on the internet and not more now so than ever. Like I said, with the democratization of the sound, you can have your home studio anywhere. It's like, it might even be better to have a home that you, that you can do whatever you want at in the middle of the country and you can just work the whole time. But I, I, I wouldn't claim to be an expert in that, like in that, um, in that realm, just because I'm starting to move around a lot more now, but with, you know, I was, my first big world tour was going to be happening this year. I had already East coast and West coast booked and was already starting to do things in England and Germany, but then everything got canceled. So like, to me, I could, I could probably answer that question maybe better in a few years, but from my instinct would be like, like I said, more so now than ever, it probably doesn't matter as much um, because everybody, everybody can connect with on the internet. I mean, I think personally speaking, I just think, I feel like it's just good for the scene. I mean, I I think it's quite boring if everyone is just from big cities. Um, So I, I think it's great. I think it creates diversity in terms of like, just vibe. Yeah, that's a good point. We want more decentralized, you know, like we want some redundant, redundant music scenes across the country. If what if Des Moines music scene sucks, all right, move to the next city. That's probably good. You know, like you don't want, yeah, like you said, the monopoly on the industry, right? Maybe has been part of why things are being, being more decentralized because these monopolies of that are that are taking hold of all and every aspect of the music business like is now all being disrupted. 100%. So you studied computer engineering and music tech as, as we've been talking about, uh, previously worked as a web developer. And looking on your website, you have a licensing tab where anyone can generate a Creative Commons license for any of your songs, for their own YouTube videos, Twitch streams, you know, what have you. So you have this open source mentality when it comes to your music. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on that philosophy? Sure. Yeah, it's something. It's something that when I was a kid, when I heard heard of it, and I like learned what Linux was, and I learned how um, it just it runs everything, and about how uh, 
the MIT licensing and the open source licensing me mentality of just collaborating with folks and watching, to be able to like watch uh, applications develop with pe with people all over the world. And I would go and ask for help with my own little coding things. And there'd be 10 people lining up, waiting to help me with my pro with my questions and actually even contribute sometimes to, I'm just like some fucking random kid. Sorry. I don't know if we can swear on this, but, but okay. Uh, and, and so, and, and so I, I don't know, to me, it was, it felt like a truly, um, I, I, it felt like a virtue. Like it felt, it felt like uh, sharing was virtue. You know, I was told to share as a kid with my siblings and stuff. And so, it, and, and I started to read a little bit about how, you know, how stories about Jimi Hendrix and his contracts and like stories of stories about uh, Nina Simone and, or whoever, or, even, or Dre Charles, all these things about how the intellectual property laws might work and otherwise, because it was like, okay, Microsoft, Apple, and Linux. But anyway, the, I, I lived on the internet, like I said, and I, I was obsessed with with the internet, internet culture. And a lot of that was open source mentality because a lot of the same people are the people with that mentality are the people who helped you know, create the framework of the internet itself. Um, and it seems to still the open source things, like when you create something open source, you create an industry around your thing that you share as opposed to like staying with you know what i mean like that's what linux to me is like it's an entire industry by giving something out for uh, for free um and it just it, it's not just for free it's open source right so for people who don't know what that is i guess it's it, when it for software it's is it's essentially like your android device or any server that hosts a website is on this operating system called Linux, which every aspect of the code, every line of the code, you can go look up and see how the code works you, in, in the sense of you can see the actual source. So the, the source is open. And so for how it translates to music is as far as I, I know that there are folks who do release their stems um, more, you know, more often. I know that like Wolfpack did some, some of that open source stuff. Uh, but I just felt, it just felt the natural, um, it just felt natural moving to my music uh, from an ethical and moral standpoint of just like, yeah, why, why am I hold? Why do I feel like I'm, if I'm going to say, oh, there's no such thing as a new idea or, you know, or I even look back at like traditional songs. It's like, yeah, there might be a composer who has a name on it, but a lot of times when you, just, when people would be making traditional songs, it's just like, no one knows who made that song. It doesn't really matter. It's the it's the song that matters, and and I don't know it it's it's a as far as it goes with the music the licensing aspect of things when I found about Creative Commons was founded by um, Aaron Schwartz and um, what's his name the he ran for president <laughs> shoot no, I can't remember his name he's like the architect of it I should know it but. Uh, but they, you know, it's this whole new idea of collaboration, you know, and not, not just, not just embracing the self-interest of human nature, but also embracing the cooperative aspect of human nature. Um, and to be honest, I don't know, it just, I really resonated that with that coming from a software world. Um, and I thought that it was the right thing to do. And I've been able to stick 
stick with it. I think I'm missing the last stems on my last album on my website, but all the stems on my songs are also released for free. You can download, you just have to, I just get your email. You have to make an account on my website, but the, but, uh, the licensing, you don't have to, but, uh, if you want the stems, I want to know who's getting them, but the, yeah, it's, it just felt like a natural thing. And I just feel like it allows me to, I don't know, there, there's, there's just things in my life where I've always felt that to, to get everything, you, you have to first give everything away. You know what I mean? Like if you want to get everything, you have to give everything away. And I just felt like that was, I know, and people started to like, um, started to take notice and, and would tell me like, wow, it's amazing you're doing this. I'm like, is it? Oh, okay. Well, I'm just gonna keep doing it. It makes a lot of sense in, in this age of content creation where there are people, you know, on Twitch and TikTok and Triller and what have you, and they need music that, that they can use. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Have you, have you seen like where this, uh, this open source mentality kind of like has led to like other forms of revenue, like, you know, in other ways for you? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. So like the, the open source thing, not as much just because most people don't know what that is and they're not really interested. Uh, there are some film, there are some film creators who, who are, or like audio and audio engineers or, or sound designers or something who are working on something and they want only a specific part of a song, but all my stems are unmixed and stuff. So I've seen people try with, with, you know, to take my stems and, and mix them. But, you know, if without the understanding of the mixing, it's sometimes it can fall flat, but the, the licensing, the, the creative commons licensing aspects of things is, is definitely led to sources of revenue. Absolutely. I would say probably other than all the time that I spent gigging and like just connecting with people in real in, in person, like everything came from the, the creative commons licensing, like putting it on free music archive. Like part of the reason why I felt the need to, to, can pursue music full time was because of all the people who would message me saying, Oh my God, thank you so much for this music for allowing me to use this. And I would just get, and then all of a sudden I'd get messages for people wanting, actually wanting commissioned work, you know, be like, Oh, Hey, yeah. Or there are people who just are found out that I have the music and they, I, they would ask, they would, you know, add, just give me a standard non-exclusive license with the fee. And I would just be like, in my back of my head, I'd be like, you know, it's free on my site. Right. But like, okay, I'm just going <laughs> to like, they, they probably don't want to deal with the, the, the gray area legally or something. So the, the perceived gray area legally of some creative commons, if they're, if they're in, you know, if they're were standard industry contract, okay, done, give it to the, give it to the accountant. Okay. Done. You know, like that's what they want. That's what needs, you know, that's the accountability that they need. Um, but for so many folks, these, these indie content creators, the small nonprofit companies, these podcasters and streamers and stuff like all I've, I've seen it where there'll be a YouTuber who's just starting out and I, and they use my music, they ask permission because even though they don't have to now, but like they'll still, some, some, some will still ask permission and I see, Oh, my, my thing popped up on this video and Oh, it's cool. They have like a few thousand likes. And then a couple of years later, they're still uploading things. And now they have over a million 
subscribers, but they're still using my music. And then I'm just like, here, here's all my unmixed, or sorry, here's all my mixed instrumentals of everything. Just take it, <laughs> you know, just take it. Like, because then I see all of a sudden, you know, dozens of Spotify playlists are popping up just from that one, um, just all pointing back to that, that YouTuber. Same thing with the people who come to my YouTube channel. Like I'd probably like, I'd say, I'd say 70, and these are, these are, <laughs> these are just my estimations, but like 75% of the messages I get are always, Hey, I heard your thing on insert the open license sync here. Amazing. And then I dove into your albums and I realized there's 14 of them and now I'm sucked in and now that now they binge it. And so they can binge this whole discography and, uh, and some of the most passionate people that I've, that I've met that are most passionate about helping me and my music too, are this, are those people. So I, th I think they said they, there is some sort of a sense of, they feel like they want to give back cause I'm giving too. And I think it, it's like, a. I tried, I, I don't know. And so I've been, I've been ro rolling with that. Like, just because when I was a kid, I just had this overwhelming feeling of this is the right thing to do. Um, and, and, and then it turned out to be actually an expedient thing to do. I thought like, like you can, you can, re you can release all this stuff under an open license and change and create value in so many people's lives. Like, and a lot, and then they'll just allow for collaborative things to happen. And that's when, that's when connections are made. And like, I'll have, I have people who have my music on their podcast and they will, they will do promo for me because they love my music and they love what I'm doing. They'll just like, they'll send out messages to people. Um, and then they're following just about just a promo about me and my music and whatever's going on They're Like, cause they feel so strongly about, about, uh, the fact that I was, I gave them this music that they could use without having to worry about anything. They could just use it and they can just breathe freely about knowing that they know the person who owns it and they know that they got permission. And then I'll go to shows that like I was, a, I played in Houston and there's a couple, a couple folks that came that listened to this small podcast with a small following and they were, and they were, there's all these inside jokes they were telling me and stuff and all these things. And it was only because of the fact that these people were able to find it and use it for free. So speaking of marketing yourself, correct me if I'm wrong, but Kala is a play on your Irish last name and your logo is the Celtic symbol for creative inspiration or like the poetic muse. Does branding and narrative matter in your opinion for indie artists? And how do you find the right balance between authenticity and like, self-manufacturing or self-promotion that's yeah that's a tough question man but you're you're right about you're right about the name and the symbol um Kulla is part of my last name mick Kulla. um i used to be mc Kulla until just fun fact until until 2015 i dropped the mc and that's I, that's probably an important part of the biography too um but i'll always be an mc but uh you know, but the, 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 the branding aspect things, because when I first looked into branding, I was like, what's branding? And I look into it and I'm like, okay, I always like to try and find the etymologies of words before I really try to go into it. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, branding is literally taking 
a hot piece of iron and burning it into the skin of someone else and claiming ownership. Right. So like that, that's what it means a different thing now. Right. But like, so there's an aspect of that, that just kind of like is always in the back of my mind that I always think about, but, uh, I think about it like a primal brand is like just a glyph. Like that symbol is a glyph or some, icon that like that represents the open source nature of things too because that's a symbol that no one could ever own it's an ancient symbol that's been around for so long and so like i don't own it like i guess i could try to like i I'm tr i bet i could like try to get some version of it or something that i could i could try to try to maybe i don't know i don't know i don't know enough about that but it's a, it's a, it's definitely a delicate balance that I'm trying to figure out more these last few years as I've been in, embracing business much more into my life um, and marketing, like you said, and really trying to go it like, but I think because I have that foundation of so many years of creating and just for myself um, and for others and the fact that I do give it for open licensing and open source, I feel way less like I feel way less weird feelings about branding and about marketing because it's like, I feel like I have already this core of like, Hey, no matter what, you can just literally click a button on my site and download everything for free. You get the zip file with no, you get a little pop-up that says, please donate, but that's it. And that's like, I don't ever plan to change that. And I, and I don't ever plan to, to change the licensing thing, at least for the songs that I have already done and recorded and uh, released. But I, I mean, I, in my 2018, no, 2019 album Spectacula, the opening track is kind of about that very question is when I really started to struggle. Cause I was the first year I did a fundraiser and like was asking people for money. And before I would just be like, ah, it's like the same thing about giving the album to someone. Uh, you know, on my birthday or like trying to like, Hey, check out my mixtape or Hey, check out this thing. You know, it just feels like this I'm imposing. And, and, I, um, but, but then I don't know, I, once I started to like fully embrace the fact that I'm doing this full time and this is, this is my honest creation. And I trust that the marketing became easier and I, 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 and it became more, it, it became it's it became an extension of who of those foundations that I have of like no this is the music that I truly believe in um, and and if people are getting something from it then then I, I I don't see why not if I'm spreading if I'm if I'm spreading value to everyone else then whatever I get from people is only going to multiply it's only going to continue to feed more and more people. I've been changing my mentality towards money too, to try to like, like I said, to you, to like try to understand how I can bring value to people's lives as opposed to, you know, like if I don't have resources, how can I do the things to help people that I want? You know, I can give things for free, but if I, but I could, I could expand that and I can get more people to do that. And I could get, I could spread it even more. And I could try to spread that, that idea of sharing more and, and try to empower people as individuals. Um, so the answer, the answer, I guess, is for branding, it became, it, it's, it is authentic. Authenticity is huge. I think that's like, that's, that's really 
probably a core tenant of any person who's trying to trying to su succeed as an artist or as an ind indie independent entrepreneur or something. It's a, yeah, it, it's still a tough question that I'm that I'm, that I'm wrestling with, but I think I struggle less with it because I'm, because I interact daily with people who I give my music to for free to, for their own creations and they monetize their own things and they've, you know, and they give back, you know, so it's, it's a, I struggle less with that because of that fact. And I, and trying to do more direct to fan stuff as opposed to trying to pay some firm over here to do X, Y, Z with all this money and who knows what's going to happen or like maybe, or a label or this or that. It's just like speaking more directly to the fans, like having, being my own, being the leader in the brand. Right. I think there was some book called primal branding that I, that I read that had a few core tenants of that and authenticity and like a memorable, the, the, the symbol is half the, is half of a brand. Right. I think like it's, uh, like you look at a square and you look at a Nike symbol, right? And you look at them both and you know what's what, like that's a square and that's a, like, it's the powerful, it's very powerful. It's like, oh, that's just a square. What kind of things does that invoke? But here's another symbol, what does that invoke? And so, I don't know, to me, it's like the symbology um, is just something to keep, the, that's the brand maybe it's like it's a it's it's in your memory as and in your in your psyche as opposed to of cattle <laughs> so to turn to someone who is actually trying to at least he claims to be trying to give artists the opportunity to sustain themselves off of their music and i'm talking about spotify founder ceo daniel eck and he recently made it into the headlines by saying that artists have to constantly be recording and releasing new music. And I'll just quote him. He said, some artists that used to do well in the past may not do well in this future landscape where you can't record music once every three to four years and think that's going to be enough. So you seem to have a pretty good rhythm of both music production and also content production whether it's like album releases um, or keeping up on your YouTube videos, your Twitch live streams. Do you agree with Eck here or is he sort of totally out of touch with the realities of being an artist? Um, I would say like he, he's, I agree with him insofar as his algorithms that he's, that, that, that Spotify is, you know, is made for like with these certain platforms, they require certain types of date, you know, content and they want, they're built for this because they turn, they turn people, they, they turn things over so fast and there's always something new that they need to be working on. I don't necessarily think three to four years matters. If you, if you have fans that don't mind if three or four years matters either, but, at, but at the same time, like I do, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to say he's like totally wrong, but I'm not going to say he's totally right because I think it's a little heartless in what he's saying. And it's, it's kind of, it is a little out of touch um, in terms of like what it takes for good, good. Like it's like, okay, so you want, you want a uh, less quality potentially. It's like quantity over quality. Is that what he's saying? Or he just is creating 
Um, or in it, I'm sure maybe what he, part of it is the fact that there's so much more competition too now, maybe potentially it's such a, it's a more diluted net, like, like how many people can just release something and put it on Spotify. I mean, these podcasts are probably on Spotify, right? Like these, any, any, every day, how much stuff is going on there. Um, so I can understand like probably the reason, the rationale as to why he is saying that, um, and it is what Facebook and it is what, um, you know, Spotify and a lot of these platforms almost require for, for you to even be, um, competitive on their, on their, um, on their platforms is to do what exactly what he's saying. And that's probably all he's, that's probably why he said that. But as far as like the, the artistic process goes, I'm, I've noticed that I might be more of a freak of nature compared to other people because I, I've been bound to that yearly cycle and I've just, I've maybe, maybe I've internalized a lot of the like content, 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 content from being on the internet so much as a kid. Um, but I, I, I liken it more to the fact that I'm just that, like, I just have this overwhelming desire and urgency to, to make the music. But like, I just, I have a friend here in Milwaukee named Kyle Kanowski who just released, he spent, two, two and a half years on this. Cause he was making an animation for all of his, all of his songs. So he's like doing this audio visual album. And so it's like, okay, it takes so much work to do this. And at the same time, part like when he released it all one, it's like one day, boom, the entire album. It's like, what? <laughs> like part of me is like, no man, you got to slow trickle it. You got to, <laughs> you know, like one song at a time, you got to give teasers. You got to do all this, you know? Uh, but at the same time, it's like, as that's not maybe inherent in the artistic process, right? To think about rollout strategies and to think about the, the or maybe they just, maybe just doesn't, maybe the, a lot of people just don't have that information or don't have the, un, the understanding, but it's hard. Like for me as an artist, I'll take the artist's word for it probably over the executive's word, just, just because of, just because of who I am. I feel like I have, I feel like artists are already, it's already tough enough. Right. So like, I don't know. It's, it's, I was a little, I was a little concerned when he said that statement, but you know, but also in the back of my mind, it's like, well, I release an album every year, so I'm going to be fine, <laughs> you know, but, but does that mean that it's going to be fine for everyone? What advice would you give to an artist who wants to be a, a full-time musician, but doesn't necessarily want to become a content marketer? You need to find the people directly like don't worry about platforms per se as much like find find the people who want to support you and and focus more on relationships as opposed to content then like because because the relationships is really what wealth is i think like what like when i started off it was being able to get some folks to go on Patreon or being able to have those people who are willing to give here or there this much and that much, and you just start to build and, and just facilitating those direct to fan, direct to musician relationships. I think the more that that happens and, you know, he, as far as what content, content delivery, like what he's saying could make sense in that, just in that scope of things, but also how many people can I are listening to my music every day and I don't know anything about them other than these, other than, I mean, unless I, I can know more about it by signing up for chart metric, but I can, I can, I can like 
I can look a little bit about what they are. They tell me a little bit of the data of like demographics. And I'll know that every once in a while when I release something, it connects to them. And so that's, that's, that's the, ultimately, I think might be the biggest issue is like, okay, there's all these people listening, but I don't actually have relationships with these people. So, so like the, the fact that you can go on Bandcamp and they can tell your email and you can message people directly. Like that's, that's, that's a much easier way to leverage some things to, to go. Cause you have, you can have real, you can have opportunities to create relationships. So like, if he wants to help the artists, <laughs> instead of telling them to make more things, he could allow us to talk to our fans. How about that? Like, like, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think that's, it's, it's something that I've become, become much more aware of. And I think a lot of that was because I was giving for free that people were reaching out to me so often. I, and I was like, yeah, this is the way I like it. Everybody is going to message me and I don't have to tell anybody anything, you know, like everyone come, come to my, you know, come to my email address, but it's, it's a, it was those facilitating those relationships. I realized that when I would follow up with an email, it would make all the difference. Or when I would go out of my way to, to share someone's thing that they made that spent, you know, even if it's a small creator, go out of my way to share it. There was one, there's a, there's some kid that was in his high school. He made this like a little video with like him saying goodbye to some of his friends and they were graduating. They went on, I think they went to the, um, Jason, you've probably been there to, to six flags, you know, by Gurney, like, and, and, <laughs> and, and he made this video and used one of my songs and I shared it and I messaged him and stuff. And then I just got a message from him just a couple of days ago. He's like, and this was four years ago. And he's like, dude, like, I still remember that time you shared it. And like, I've been following you ever since all this stuff, like just little things like that. Like you make a real connection with someone and all these people on Spotify. Yeah. They might think one of the songs dope and it's on one of their playlists and stuff, but it's still this, it's, there's still no way to really connect with them. And I think that that the relationships are much more important for a sustainable or to like, yeah, for sustainability. Like, so as far as content, like you can probably get away with releasing cause I'm sure there's art. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's artists now that are still doing that, but maybe it's more, there is some overlap from legacy media and legacy business, right. From pre streaming era and stuff, but things move so fast, but yeah, yeah that, that would be my, that would be my recommendation is to just focus on relationships. Like, I don't know, you got a friend who's got a, who might have a good job that might be willing to give you five bucks a month or like an uncle or an aunt or, or just keep grinding online and trying to find those really and just build those relationships. As soon as someone finds someone comments on it, comment back, get to know that person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you grind those relationships and you know, it's not like you want to be best friends with everybody, but like it's just makes such a difference. You know what I mean? And it just feels when Spotify, it just feels so anonymous. Like today is the Spotify wrapped day, right? Like it's the day where Spotify gives everybody all their information of what artists they listen to. And the only way I can tell who is listening to anything is if, if they're tagging me on Instagram, that's the only way I really know who is, you know what I mean? Like the actual people and, and it's not Spotify that's telling me any of that, you know? And sort of on that same note, is like connecting the dots between your data and your audience. So who your audience actually is. So one of the things we've been big proponents of is encouraging artists to take control of their own data and to understand 
their own music data. Do you have examples of how you've used data to make decisions about your own music? Not necessarily from an artistic standpoint, but from that sort of relationship based standpoint. Yeah, I think so. Uh, when I started doing, well, as soon as sort of people started emailing me, you know, about, Oh, Hey, can I use this? Hey, can, I put them in a spreadsheet, you know, of every person, what even people that were like, Hey man, if you ever come to this town, duh, 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 you know, like uh, beers on me, you know, every, every one of those interactions, you write it down. They're like, okay. Every, and then you never know when you're going to need that or when you're in that town or when, when you can call on that person. Um, but for the fund, the fundraisers is probably something that I've, and having my own website is huge. Like in having that web development background is because I'm able to gather all that information. I'm not using a Kickstarter. I'm not using anything. I, I can have all the relationships with people there directly through my site, as opposed to through Kickstarter or something, which, you know, there's pros and cons probably of doing that or not. But fundraiser fundraising is probably one of the, the best examples I could think of that because now I'm on my third year at fundraising and I have now some, and I'm, you know, I'm working on trying to get it into what I think they call it a regression table or something where it's like trying to keep track of specific people and like if, you know, and have it more continuous. But now I just have like four spreadsheets I have to look up, but I'm working on getting that together to like put it all and consolidate into one to allow to know what happens year after year. Um, and because of that, I've been able to realize that part of the facilitating the relationships is as soon as someone gives, gives, any, gives anything to the fundraiser to pre-order anything, I immediately will blast out on all my social media, thanking them and their name specifically. And now this year I've been able to do something more because it's been three years now, I've been able to do something where I can look back and see how often they've been giving or something. And so when someone's, this is their third year, it's like, that's amazing. And I can bring that up and I can thank them. That's like, that's something that I want to encourage. You know what I mean? Like that's something that I want to Thank, uh, that's the deeper thank you. I think to some of these people, especially it's like, man, you've been doing it. Like I, that's, that's extra. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like that and going out of your way to, to email folks and to say thank you in every, every way you can, like, because I have that data, because I have their emails, I have their addresses. I can, I can send them nice. Thank you notes. I can send them uh, pack packages to, to say, to say, thank you. Um, and I'm even thinking about, you know, and of course that's all an email list that, that keeps just growing and growing and growing. And I have my own shop on my own website and that's all my own data, right. That I can keep growing, growing all this information. And I'm even thinking for my live streaming, it's like, what's stopping me from doing a YouTube unlisted and doing my own ticketing on my own website with the people who care, you know, the people on my own site. And that's even, that's all mine now then too. Like I know how to do, I, I'm, you know, I might have to have someone help me. I don't know if I can do all the hats at one time. If the site goes down, you know, I might be like, oh, I have to play, to play this show. I can't just be debugging this code right now, but the, that, I don't know, that maybe, maybe that's a good, good example. Just, just the fact that um, I'm using the data of like, okay, who's interacting with these fundraisers more often than others and who's, and who, and where are they coming from and how are they changing their things from year to year? Like that, that matters, I think in the long run, like, uh, because it's like, 
I don't know. It's like, to me, it'd be like one day there's going to be someone who's done it 10 years in a row and that's going to blow my freaking mind, man. You know, like I'm just waiting for that. Like, I, like that's what I'm excited about, you know, it'd be like the people to like see what, see how they get value out of it. Right. It's like, it's not just the value of, um, okay, you give $50 and you get a vinyl package. So you get, you know, all this stuff, but it's, it's, it comes with more of that, you know, they, they're, they're feeling a part of it. And when it's all on my site and it's all through me and I'm the one communicating directly to them and there's not all these, you know, you know, I don't know. I've been, I've given to some Kickstarters and stuff and I'm happy to, and I still feel good to do it, you know, but I'm not getting special, you know, specially written things. Sometimes some people I am for small, you know, for, and those are the people that I buy again the next time. Cause it's like, wow, they wrote me a nice note and directly to me and they know things about me. You know, it's like, and that, that's the thing too, is like the data of who these people are and what are the experiences that I've had with them in the past that I can draw upon to, to, uh, to re reaffirm the, those things and to continue the relationship building. To me, it's like data is not going to all of a sudden, uh, and it's by itself, like, you know, get, get, you know, solve all the things, but man, it's so important to have. And like, it's so important to have, and it takes, it's almost, it's almost another task to learn what to do with it, you know, as like, and, but it's so important to have it. Absolutely. I mean, that's something, that's something that it's because, it's because I am a computer nerd, you know, like I just realized like I, there's some joys that I get out of making these Excel spreadsheets when they're all done, you know, and I can pivot table the like fundraiser and like, no, Oh, wow. Look, this look at the distribution of all the tiers. So that's, yeah, that's another example. Like I, I looked at the last couple of years and I did a pivot table of like, okay, who gave to what tier and at what rates and stuff and what am I missing? And I was able to find, to try and like fine tune it to be like, okay, where are people trying to go in terms of their price points? Where are they comfortable mm -hmm. with? So then I would be able to, okay, they, people want a $50 thing or people want a three. There are like, there might've been a time when I could have gotten a 250 instead of a hundred, you know, you know, or whatever it is. Um, and you can, I can just see that from year after year and I can watch that and also watching when, so I can like distribute the number of, of times people give over the the lifespan of the actual fundraiser, because I know a lot of fundraisers are like, you only used to do it in 20 days and it's got to be urgent and like, bam, bam every day. But to me, it's, to me, I've been doing more like a hundred day, like three month, three month one. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's own thing. So I'm learning that, like looking at the distribution of when is that? It's like, okay. And I can feel it's like, oh shoot, I'm 30% now. I got 90 days. Like, okay, I'm on a good pace. And I look at the last years. It's like, okay, most of the th stuff comes in at, you know, this month or something. So then I've got to get ready for it and I'm going to be ready for it the next year. And if it doesn't happen, then, well, they say like for a trend, you need three points of data, right? At least. So, so, you know, this, <laughs> you, you never know. Things always change, but like that's, you have the data and you can make the analysis. And you don't, you don't have 15 years of data of that, do you? No, I wish, man. I should have done that earlier. I was just doing a donation based like fundraising at first with like, and then I was like, maybe I should read up on this whole fundraising thing <laughs> and figure it out. And everyone's like, don't just do donations, like do reward based tiers, you know, things. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's a lot smarter. And, and then because, because I also felt it's the whole thing about feeling weird about asking for money. It's like, well, I'm not really asking for money. You're just pre-ordering this stuff, basically. You know, like 
you're just pre you're allowing it to happen. And then, you know, and I can know who gives what, and I can say, Oh, Hey, thank you for giving this amount. You directly, you know, your contribution gave the paid, the artist. And I'd be like, Oh, I love that artwork. Oh my God. That's amazing. Like, well, that was you. (laughs) That's your money, man. So to pivot a little bit toward like streaming and social media data, can you explain the difference between what an artist is able to see on like a Spotify for artists or Apple music for artists or Instagram insights versus what you can find on a music analytics platform. Yeah. Uh, Spotify, they can tell you, they'll tell you like overall trends of certain things from the beginning of time or for beginning of their time, like which is 2015, I think. Um, But I'm only seeing listeners streams and then i think monthly listeners and then i'm seeing like just the number per day just how many and then i'm seeing some a small list of what other artists that some of those people listen to and then a small demographic breakdown and geolocation breakdown um so it gives you some information for sure instagram won't even tell you anything past 28 days or something like they won't even, they won't even show you anything past a month. As far as I know, um, Facebook, I think has a little bit more, um, but it's, it's not, I don't know. It, it can be useful because for me, it's like, Oh, why? Like, like I just found out from the Spotify wrapped is like, Oh, you got more like likes this year or loves or whatever the hearts. I don't know what they're called on Spotify, but, you got more like engagements on that way from Russia this year. Like they're your most loved thing. I was like, Oh shit. Like, okay. I did see that. Like Russia's coming in hot this year. Like, great. Like can't wait to go tour there. Right. Or like, and I think a lot of it's Poland. Poland is killing it right now because of all these YouTubers in Poland that are using my music and they're spreading it. But anyway, the, 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 it's, it doesn't, it tells you that stuff, but I don't know until, until I saw, I downloaded or I purchased a Hootsuite um, analytics thing where it's saying it would like, okay, we'll collect your Instagram because you can't go back in time with the Hootsuite or with Instagram. They won't tell you anything. So like they can record it and then Hootsuite will, will tell you things about Facebook and YouTube. But I think it will go back in time with Spotify or YouTube. Um, but I was yeah, it was really buggy. And it was like at the time, this was a couple of years ago. And, and, and it was, and it kept, kept like having me like re- have to reconnect to the Instagram all the time. It kept glitching out. Um, and it was like $300 a year or something. I forget what it was, but I ended up not really, I was like, oh, sweet data. Finally, I can like keep track of this for, yeah, like you said, 15 years. Holy crap. If I had 15 years of all that, that'd be amazing. Um, but yeah, but I think the only time I ever saw more helpful data was probably in the chart metrics dot, the um, dashboard because I went and got the uh, COVID special free trial for uh, and and I I was able to log in there and see everything. I was blown away. I was totally blown away with how how much it was in there and how much how comprehensive it was. It wasn't just like trends; it was also like. It was also like the acceleration too. And like, it was, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was able to, if that makes sense, like it was able to tell you not just the velocity of listeners, but like the acceleration of it too. 
correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that some of them at least have that in the chart metrics, but 80% of my thing on Spotify is men. So what do I do about that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, what does that do? I don't, I'm not making that type, you know, I'm not making like, okay, I'm going to switch to making video game content, which, you know, could be a way to do it, right? Like leverage the male, like audience to do video games or sports or, you know, who knows what. And, um, but to me, I don't, I don't really, the only thing about the demographic data that's interesting to me is the, is the locations, um, and potentially the other artists that they listen to. I think that's probably pretty useful um, for touring and for ad, probably if you ever wanted to do ads and stuff. Um, but yeah, it doesn't feel, and maybe it's because I'm not in the positions to exploit that type of data to its fullest potentially, but I don't find too much value in that data per se. Like I care much more about the people's data that I have, like their names, their emails, like all that stuff seems to be much more useful to me. I love, I love seeing long-term graphs and it's so disappointing every time I look on Instagram analytics and just see the last month and no way to change it. Even on the Spotify app on my phone, I can't go back to 2015, but on the desktop I can. And it's just so irritating. It's just so irritating because it's like, what I know you can do this. Like, why are you stopping me? Like, what's going on? Like, what are you? And I, I don't know. I'm sure it's very valuable information. I'm sure they're probably priming it to be like, okay, upgrade to business pro or something. Like I would imagine, I don't know. That's, that's me making assumptions, but, but yeah, I don't know. The, the, those, those types of, that, that type of data is interesting. And I, and I know like I was doing that for my tours, like, okay, here's random you know, random, a, a city that seems to be doing that's that I could probably bring some folks out at. I was like, Oh, wow. I'm, you know, I'm a, like almost half or was it? I forget what it was. I was like 0.15% of Portland's thing in Spotify on the chart metrics data. And I was just like, Whoa, <laughs> like that's, that's like a, not nothing. I've never been there. <laughs> like the, I mean, in Milwaukee, it's obviously better, but it's like, okay, yeah, I need to go spend some more time. Like I'll probably go to Portland and there are few people might show up. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's pretty useful data for me as, as a, like for gigging. Um, and I would imagine if you have an audience, you understand it, you could probably do the lookalike thing too with it. Right. Or at least like make ads based on certain mm -hmm. demographic breakdown. But yeah, I, I, to be totally honest, I haven't used this, the much of that data uh, to, to the, probably the fullest of what it could be, or maybe, maybe it just doesn't really do much for me. I don't know. If I could distill what you're sort of a couple points that you made, maybe one is the location at which, or what point you use data is not necessarily to create music. Um, cause then you sort of get into this authenticity trap, Yeah, hundred but to use it after you've created music in order to understand who your audience is and how to connect with them. Does, does that seem like a fair sort of assessment? Yeah, that's that. Yeah. You said it better than me, man. All right. So we're going to round where we get your quick take analysis on some recent music industry headlines and trends. Um, 
if you can keep it to tweet length, 100. Length. We're not asking you to actually count. 280 now, though. <laughs> 280. Oh, right. uh, you know, a few lines, you know, your first, you know, few thoughts uh, that 100%. Uh, we'd love to get it. So, first one, uh, this one's coming from Music Ally. Uh, I think it's their bulletin. So, Jay Balvin was Deezer's most streamed artist of 2020, and Bad Bunny was Spotify's most streamed artist of 2020. Uh, with 8.3 billion streams. Holy. <laughs> I, just, I wonder who got paid more. That's my initial reaction. Mm. That's great. That's enough said. <laughs> um, all right. The next one is also from Music Ally. And the headline is Music Software Sounds and Services Made. $884 million in 2019. So basically the gist of this is that music making technology, whether that's um, software or hardware, um, saw a real saw real growth um, from music creators becoming, you know, being able to produce their own music, essentially. Um, and this company, Media tried to sort of quantify this market, estimating that there are 14.6 million music creators globally. And of that, 4.7 million are self-releasing their music. So that's where they get eventually their number 884 million in 2019. And it broke that down into 336 million spent on digital audio workstations, 379 million on plugins, and 157 million on sounds. And by 2027, Media expects the combined value to be $1.86 billion. Thank God. <laughs> That's what I say. No, it's the best time to be an independent creator ever. All right. Uh, this one's from uh, Music Business Worldwide. So Spotify just invented AI technology that will police songwriter plagiarism. So the company is seeking a patent for its, quote, plagiarism risk detector and interface, end quote, technology. And uh, one particularly interesting element of this is that it would take place in near real time. So it would allow a songwriter composer to tweak elements of their work to avoid infringement before they kind of went in and recorded it uh, as a master. Uh, looks at a plurality of elements, including chord sequences, melodic fragments, harmony, on and on and on. I'm, I'm skeptical, but... It could be a very powerful tool to help people, but I'd be worried about something like that being used and misused. Yeah, I I have I have friends who were who have have just been playing music, their own music live, and been taken down on Facebook because it's like you're playing someone else's music. It's like what? All right, the next one: low ratings expected. It's been a tough year for broadcasters televising music award shows. This is from Trapital. Um, so November's American Music Awards had a 40% viewership drop. Billboard Music Awards dropped 55%. Grammys brought in a record low of 18.7 million. And if it follows the same trend, it will draw in just 9 million viewers. And that would be the same number who watched... Gucci Mane versus Jeezy's versus Battle. I'm not surprised. Uh, looking forward to the chart metric award shows. <laughs> data driven, data driven awards. Not a bad idea at all. 
All right, this one, next one. Uh, independent artist market is exploding in China. This is a headline from Music Business Worldwide. Uh, with NetEase and Tencent battling to woo the best indie acts there. So China is becoming a particularly interesting hotspot for the DIY artist market with the territory's two biggest streaming platform operators, Tencent Music Entertainment and NetEase Cloud Music duking it out. Tencent revealed that it paid 590 million, 590 million yuan, that's about $84 million US, uh, to date to indie artists using its program. And then launched three years ago, um, they offer services such as music publishing, marketing, copyright management, and professional training. Oh, so it's a kind of an all-in-one service maybe that instead of the 10 websites I have to log into to see what my royalties are coming in, maybe it's one. That sounds nice. <laughs> and then I got one more, uh, right? It's not on the sheet, but uh, for it. I can't help but include this because I just heard about it. So this is from Complex. So the headline is Drake is selling a scented candle that actually smells like Drake. So the rapper is <laughs> getting into uh, the Better World Fragrance House line. It has five different essences, but one particular flavor, Carby Musk, it stands out because uh, it's a smooth musk fra fragrance that actually smells like Drake. Uh, most of the candles sell for $48 each, while uh, his particular scent retails at $80. And they are all sold out at the current moment. I'll wait for the hotline bling scent. <laughs> You got to get some color candles. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to get some kombucha and some tea, special tea blends. That's my that's the that's the first move. Cool. So that's all we have. So thanks so much for chatting with us today, Kala. Is there a way for people to contact you or check you out if they want to um get in touch or listen to your music? Yeah, everyone can go to Kulla.com, C-U-L-L-A-H.com. Everything's there. There's links to all the social networks and your favorite streaming platform. And you can email me at mc at Kulla.com if you so choose or hit me up on any of the social media networks, usually on there. Um, and yeah, and I have a, mentioned I have a fundraiser I'm starting that I'm, 30% of the way through. Um, so if you want to get a vinyl or anything, and I'll just say the last thing is that 15% of the fundraiser is going to NEVA, uh, North, Amer North American Independent Venue Association. Just yesterday, it was like the fifth venue in Milwaukee closed. Um, that And all the, this is the fifth venue of, of all, basically the venues that would play music, have live music every day. They're staples of this city, so it's it's not it's it's and I, it's just like alarm bells are ringing, but no one seems to care. <laughs> so I don't know. People do care, but I'm sure we all care. But but yeah. So and yeah, new album coming out, fifteenth album, half. How music charts is written and produced by Jason Hoven and Rutger Rosenborg of Chartmetric. Special thanks to Culla. By the way, as part of our effort to equip artists with the power of music analytics, we've just rolled out a new artist tier, which you can sign up for at app.chartmetric.com slash plan slash artist for about the price of a coffee per week. Free Chartmetric accounts are available at chartmetric.com and podcast notes are at blog.chartmetric.com. You can also subscribe there for additional insights delivered to your inbox right after we publish. Did we mention we have a YouTube channel? 
That's right. Subscribe at youtube.com slash C slash chartmetric for chartmetric tutorials and tips for indie artists. Follow our thoughts on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at chartmetric. That's chartmetric, no S. That's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>